You heard about the older fella. You know, I'm going to tell a joke, right? We're going to look at third John. But the older fella, he went to the doctor, and a few months later, he came back to the doctor and came in. He had a young girl with him. Had a hold of his arm, came in. The doctor called him aside and said, what are you doing? You know, you're pretty old. He said, well, you told me to be cheerful and get a hot mama. He said, I didn't say that. I said, be careful. You have a heart murmur. I tried that out on my secretary. She said, it's worth telling, but uh, didn't get a lot of laughs this morning. So we'll check that off the list and not use it. Uh, we're looking at the third epistle of John. Now, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. Uh, this is an epistle. And, you know, we talk about books and their names. And a lot of times we don't share the full name. I won't do that very often. But there's epistles, the epistle of John this morning. There's gospels, the gospel according to John, the revelation of John, the Acts of the Apostles. That's the full title of that book. So this morning we're looking at the epistle of John. And we're going to read four verses, but we're going to study 12. So when you get that, stand with us. And we'll read these four verses. Here the word of God says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly with the when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let's pray for God to bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. God bless us. We thank you today for the opportunity to be here. Lord, there's some that are sick today, can't be here. Others gone. Some uh, still uh, concerned about the virus. We understand that. We pray for all these folks. Maybe they'll tune in. And listen to it on the website. God, uh, we, just, we just know that you're sovereign. And I know when I preach that you're the one that puts the idea in my mind. You're the one that gives me the message. You're the one that provides uh, the helps I need to prepare. But Lord, right now we need you to reign uh, in that folks will see you and not see me. And if they see me only to see the fact that I'm just a sinner who's been saved by grace. I am a saint in your eyes, God, but from a human perspective, I'm not deserving to be one of your children, but thank you for the fact that I am. And God, I just pray you'll speak to hearts now from your word, each of us in our own unique way. Expose us for what we are and show us what we need to change. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. John, of course, in verse 1, is referred to as the elder. And he's the, obviously an apostle. Remember, they were disciples until they were sent, and they became apostles. He also a, was a fisherman. Uh, that was his trade before the Lord called him, one of the sons of Zebedee. He was also referred to in Scripture five times as the one Jesus loved. He's also, obviously, the author the author. He wrote this personal letter to Gaius about 85 or 90 years after he left this world. He wrote this epistle to Gaius. Now remember, Gaius was from Macedonia, and he was with Paul when they had the riot in Ephesus. He also helped Paul with the church at Corinth. Paul baptized him there in Corinth. Gaius was a great person. 
He lodged Paul, took care of Paul in his home. Um, he was just one of those guys that was very valuable to the ministry. And we're going to look here at the first eight verses about Gaius. And we're going to call him the prosperous Christian. The prosperous Christian because Gaius uh, had an honest walk. And we're not talking about prosperity financially. But he was prosperous in his life. So many people preach a prosperity gospel that if you live for God and give to their ministry, you'll be rich. And I hear more verses taken out of context from evangelists on TV that they read something from the Old Testament or even the New and they come up with this idea that if you give to their ministry and plant a seed in their ministry, you're going to have a big house on a hill somewhere and all your debts are going to disappear. Well, that would be great, and if that were the case, every church in the land would be packed full of people this morning because they'd all be quickly giving to those ministries so that they could have the house on the hill. But folks, it's just not the truth. We find one of the great Christians of the Old Testament was a widow who had a last mite and gave her all to God's treasury. And so we know that that's a lie and that is used to, to raise money. And so he's talking about... Uh, Gaius being prosperous in several ways. But look at verse 1. He says, first of all, the elder. Now, this is the word presbyteros, and we get our word Presbyterian from that. Now, Presbyterian churches have, they have a board of elders and a board of deacons. Baptist churches, we have a board of deacons, and we try to use, and we should use age saints on those boards to make decisions. I'm always leery with a church when they have 25-year-old deacons. Nothing wrong with 25-year-old deacons, but they're making all the decisions for all the people in the church. So age is something we need to utilize in a Baptist church. And so we have age saints that we learn from and need in our church. We don't have a board, so to speak, of elders, but we do love age, don't we? And we appreciate godly wisdom. And so here he says, John, he's John's talking about Gaius, the El, John the elder, unto the well-beloved Gaius. He calls him beloved four times. Obviously, Gaius was a guy everybody appreciated. And then he says, whom I love in the truth. And so he's beloved, and he says, whom I love in the truth. That word truth is found six times in the word true once in this passage. So he talks about the word truth a lot here. And uh, I've entitled this message, Walking in the Truth. And Gaius did that. He walked in the truth. And then we find here, uh, he had an honest walk. He walked in the truth. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all, or concerning her about everything, that thou mayest prosper. And this really means to have a good life in this journey. Prosper means to have a good life in this journey. You know, the early Christians viewed uh, life as a journey. From their salvation till the end of their life, it was a journey. Quite often you find in your Bible they had referred to it as a race or a battle, a fight, right? Uh, the word race is used a lot in your Bible. They viewed it as a journey from beginning to end. And the only thing that mattered to them was that they live up and measure up spiritually to what God would have in this journey. They didn't live like we live, you know, the American dream. Own a home, secure a pension, and so forth. Now that is fine as the American dream, but you know, if your goals and life's aspirations are all about 
things and building money and building homes and building your pension and having plenty when you retire. There's nothing wrong with planning and saving, but the fact is your ambition should be motivated by pleasing the Lord in all things. A spiritual journey is what you're on. Those are all side issues. Those things don't matter. I know there was a guy who owned a steel company, R. Stanley Tam. You can read about him. He gave 90% of his income to missions. Or 90, 10% to his church and then 80 to missions. 90% of his income he gave away. He considered life a spiritual journey. So Paul wants Gaius to have a prosperous journey, no doubt spiritually speaking. He's also concerned about his physical being. He says, and be in health. And that's our word, hagana. We get our word hygiene from it. We're using a lot of hygiene here, right? Uh, to keep, keep, stay in good health. I mean, we're washing and we're wearing masks and all that. And I try not to offend people. I, I said you got people on all ends of the extreme. I don't know what to do, whether I fist pump or some shake and hug. It's tough because you don't want to offend anybody in either way. I don't want to touch them. Oh, I wish he hadn't touched me. Or I wish he had touched me. So it's tough. But they, they, he, had, he had a problem with his health. And Paul was, uh, John, John is speaking, not Paul. I'm so he's preaching from Paul's epistles. John is saying, I hope you're in good health. And then even as thy soul prospers. So you, he talks about spiritually, physically, and now emotionally. The soul is the seat of your emotions. Our word psych is what it comes from. Our psychology does matter. Amen. I love Christian psychologists. I listen to, it's called, um, I think it's called, uh, oh man, Bible Broadcasting Network, maybe 91.5 at 2 o'clock. There's a guy named Chuck Carlson comes on. He's a counselor and I love to listen to him talk about raising children and tips and how to, uh, it's, it's called intentional living. And I love that stuff. Now, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a psychologist that doesn't know Jesus. How, how can he help the soul with the word of God? That's what those words mean. How can someone who doesn't know Jesus help us? I don't want advice from somebody who doesn't know the Lord, but I thank God for the, for the uh, psychologists that we have amongst us, the James Dobsons and those that take the word and help us. And so he's concerned. He says, I, I want you to prosper in this journey. He wanted to prosper in all aspects of his life. He says, especially above everything, that you prosper. Then he says here in verse 3, I love this. He says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. I mean, can you imagine? Paul was exuberant. He, oh, man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. That's so good. That's how we should act when people get saved. That's how we should act when we hear a good report. He said, I rejoice greatly. I, I, and I keep saying Paul. John was just so excited about Gaius and, and that he heard this testimony about the truth in him. He says, even as thou walkest in truth. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is speaking. <laughs> Paul is writing. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Chapter 1. And, and I love this, uh, and we're going to look at verse 27. I love him saying how they rejoiced. In, uh, John rejoiced because they talked about the truth being in him. Ever, I know you've read John 14, 1, 1 through 6. If you're ever struggling with anxiety, just read that. Let not your heart be troubled. 
If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. You know, the way John says that there, it's so awesome. But he goes on to say that Jesus is what? And Jesus says, John is quoting Jesus. I am, those great I am, the way. That's the way to heaven. And then he says, I am what? The truth. The truth. And he's in me. The truth in me. So John says, I rejoiced hearing the fact that the truth was in, in you, in you, Gaius. That, I'm rejoicing over that. Colossians 1.27. Listen to what it says. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What do you think the mystery is? This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that something? Christ is in you. And Jesus is the way and he's the truth. And here he says, Gaius, I rejoice greatly to hear the truth was in you. Now we realize that he's talking about Gaius' manner of living, the way he lived his life, the way he walked. So I'm pointing out something real rich uh, to add to that, that he, we know that he could walk that way. He could walk in truth because the truth was living in him, see? And so back to our text, he says, I, I'm so thankful. I rejoice greatly. And then he says here in verse 4, again, I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. John says, I, there's nothing. Nothing that excites me more that I rejoice. The word joy, the word rejoice, same thing. I rejoice so much to hear that my children, and he's not talking about physical children. This word can be used figuratively or physically. While it can refer to physical children, we know Gaius was not his child. In fact, if you want to read Paul saying the same thing in, in Philemon, he says he refers to Onesimus as his own son. But we know Onesimus was not his physical son, spiritually speaking. And so John says, to hear one of my converts, one of the people I've had a close connection with, to live that way, Gaius, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. He knew Gaius was a good man. He had spent time with him. Now he's writing this wonderful letter. And again, he says, beloved, thou doest faithfully in verse 5. He was faithful in everything. I like that. I like that. Faithfulness is so important. Moreover, it's required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Faithfulness. Be faithful. Whatever you do, be faithful. And we, we, we uh, see here, he says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully. Then in verse 8, he talks about being a fellow helper. In verse 11, he talks about being followers of good. Those three F's for you, if you want that. He says, you're faithful, you're a fellow helper, you're a follower of good. But here in verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. To strangers. Now remember, maybe a month ago, we mentioned that hospitality is a spiritual gift. It's mentioned in Romans 12, 13. And in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse 1, it's translated how? That you entertain strangers. Strangers. So you see, we're supposed to uh, entertain strangers. And I want to say something here today because I have a lot of people who make comments that don't bother me, but I know are wrong. 
you know, I'll have someone say, well, yeah, he, he reaches a lot of people with Christ. He has the gift of evangelism. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that. There is a gift of evangelism. There is a gift of hospitality. But guess what? We're all supposed to evangelize. It, some are gifted at it, but we're all commanded to evangelize. I mean, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So while hospitality was a gift, it even says that we're supposed to be, especially me, I'm supposed to be a lover of hospitality. And I remember having a house full of people a lot of times, and I wasn't always thrilled when they left and the mess was there, and I had my four toddlers running around and adding to the mess. I loved it while they're there, but the fact of the matter is, just because we're not gifted in an area doesn't mean we shouldn't still do what God calls us to do, and that's to evangelize or whatever, show mercy, all those different gifts, helps and those different gifts. Anyway, we, we go back to our text, and we find here, he says, thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I referred to part of Matthew 25 one day, but I want you to see these verses. And while you're looking there, let me tell you a little story. I read, and I've got the little thing here. It's fine print, so I had to read it before I got up here because I knew without my reading glasses I'd struggle. This story is about a pastor that had a fellow visit his church a few times and then call him and say, Pastor, I want to join your church, but I want to tell you I, I, can't, I, I can't really be there all the time because I do a lot of different things on weekends. I can't get involved. I, I can't serve in any capacity. I'm just going to come once in a while and attend. And the pastor said, well, I'll tell you, there's a better church for you. And he gave him an address. He said, try this church. It's really more suited for you. So the next week, the guy got in his car. And he went to that other church location with that address, and he pulled in the parking lot. The church was boarded up and about to be torn down. The point was, that church was full of people just like him at one time, people who wouldn't do anything. You know, we have to roll up our sleeves and go to work, exercise our gifts, and sometimes we have to do things we don't like. I, I've said before, I've knocked on thousands of homes and many times wished no one was home. That's a true story. I got to Panama, started for sure. I knocked on every door on Fort Davis, Fort Gulick, and Fort Sherman. Every door, bam, bam, bam. Some people weren't too happy. Some of the officers didn't like it. Sometimes I was told it was against the regs and I'd already test checked the regs and it wasn't. Regulations is what that means. And, and so I've, I've done things I don't like to do because I know they need to be done. Did Jesus look forward to Calvary? He suffered all that for us and we sometimes don't want to do a thing for him. It's not easy being a Christian. We're supposed to take up a cross and follow him. But I love what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He talks about how people have fed and clothed strangers. And he's talking about himself. Look at verse uh, 35. Chapter 25, verse 35. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Verse 38, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? When was that, Jesus? And you know the rest of the text, don't you? He said, when you do something for others, you're doing it for me. When you, when Joy plays the piano, when the deacons serve the widows, 
or handle the money or when you teach or operate the soundboard or sing while you're doing it indirectly for us, you're doing it first and foremost for Jesus. Do it your best and be faithful about it. In my line of work, I've always wanted to be prepared. Jack, who works with me, will tell you I study 30 hours a week because I want to know my passage inside and out. All three times, and I used to preach three times a week. And I know that there's been times I've had something come up in that week. Man, I didn't have enough time to study. I was maybe involved with some serious matter that God had guided me to, and I couldn't study, and I just got up in the pulpit, and I thought, Lord, I'm really discouraged because I'm not prepared. And the Lord would just touch me and give me that extra grace I needed, you know, to get through it. So there's going to be times when you can't do your best as far as putting the time and energy into something. But God will help you through those times. But when you have time, be prepared. Be faithful. Do your best because you're doing it for Amen. Thought you'd say Jesus, but the Lord's fine. Same person, the Lord Jesus. It's all about him. And when you help a little child, a snotty nose, little brat, and you give them a cookie, and you really sometimes wish they didn't come to Sunday school because they're a nuisance, remember to look at that child as though you're looking at Jesus. I've knocked on all, probably almost all the doors of some of the worst housing projects in Highland Park. When I was one of the heads of student body visitation and other things I had to do, I'd go in some of the most dangerous areas. And it was sometimes very difficult to deal with people. I, I lasted like just a short time in the children's bus ministry and then they plugged me in the student body visitation. I was so much happier. Because I, I, I can't handle, uh, I could barely handle my five kids. So to handle kids in a classroom setting, I, I am so nervous when every year up, up in Saudi, they'd say, Pastor, could you speak VBS to the kids one night? And it was Wednesday night and I was sweating bullets, man. I was so nervous. I can preach in front of 5,000 people and not be nervous, but you put me in front of 20 kids, I'm sweating bullets. Yeah, it's just not what I say is my cup of tea, but I have to remind myself to say yes and to do it because I'm doing it for. We do it for the Lord. Back to John's epistle. And we pick up in verse six and we find here in verse six, he says, which hath borne witness, mark that word witness. We'll look at that word later and we'll tie it to verse 12. Which have borne witness of the charity, you know that word agape, charitable organization should be self-sacrificing. The, the I charity before the church. Now the church is another word you're familiar with, the word ecclesia. You've heard that before. I'm sure it means called out group. The church is called out. We're not supposed to be like the world. Too many churches are identifying with the world to try and reach them. And it's okay to do certain things to reach people to get in church, but it's never okay to compromise the word of God to get people in church. We have to be careful about worldliness. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. So we don't want to use the world's uh, ideas and the world's methods. We have to be very careful, but we want to do, be all things to all people. There's a fine line there, isn't there? So here... The church is called out one day, praise God, it'll be called up. 
But he says, the church whom if thou bring forward on their journey. See, there's a journey again. After a godly sort. That's the word theos, the word theology, godly sort. Thou shalt do well. So we're supposed to help strangers. We're supposed to be charitable. We're supposed to help everyone possible on their Christian journey. It's not just about our fellowship. It's not just about serving our people. We have to understand something. The body of Christ includes more than our little church. That's why it's okay to hug the neck of somebody who goes to a different church. And it's okay to pray for them and befriend them and eat lunch with them. You know? Uh, we have to be careful that we don't become isolationists. It's one thing to be separated. It's nothing to be isolated. You know, we are, are so afraid sometimes of reaching out. And we don't reach lost people and we avoid other Christians and we become very lonely people. Because a, a, a life that's prosperous is a life for others. It's, it's about others. It's not about me and my little flock and so forth. And so he says in verse 7, because for that his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. In other words, they didn't depend on the lost world to provide their way. Another point John makes here. They, they took care of strangers so that strangers came to town. Gaius would take care of them so they wouldn't have to depend on lost people. There's nothing worse than to have to beg somebody who doesn't know Jesus for help. It's always great to have a Christian brother. You can say, hey man, I'm... I'm, I'm struggling. And let me tell you something, if a Christian, and you know the person's saved, you know their testimony, ever ask you for help, you're obligated to help them. Did you know that? If they ask for your coat, take it off, give it to them. We're obligated to help others. And I think we lose that sometimes. He says, wherefore we ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. I want to be like Gaius, don't you? John's saying, Gaius, you're a prosperous Christian. Gaius had an honest walk. Then we move to verses 9 and 10. Diotrephes was a preeminent Christian. A preeminent Christian. He had a bad attitude. Diotrephes had a bad attitude. Pick up in verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence. You know what that means? First place. It means you want your own way. It means you're selfish. If as a church we go forward, we can't be selfish. We have to be selfless. We have to think about others. Think about others. I hope my heart's motivation to be here is to be helpful to others. And that's what I pray. God, help me to live a life that's about others. Not for what I can get out of it, but what I can give to it. That, that should be our ambition. And I've come up short many times, I'm sure you have, in having the right motivation. We have to constantly keep ourselves in check. We have to die daily. Did you know every day I have to die to old Dan? Every day. Sometimes many times a day. The Bible talks about moment by moment. I need the every hour, we think. But we don't talk to them but once a week. We have to depend on God for everything in our life because God is the one that is the all-providing God. He knows our needs before we ask. Well, doctors, he, he wanted the preeminence. 
among them. He receives us as not. Diotrephes would not receive them. Someone once said, I guess I probably am the one who said it because I wrote this down years ago in my notes. And it's either your way or Yahweh. That's the Old Testament name of God. I came up with a kind of a dumb saying, but I've remembered it over the years. It's either your way or Yahweh's. Yahweh is that Old Testament covenant name for God. It's either your way or it's either your way or the Lord's way. That's the Lord of the Old Testament. Whose way is it? Uh, uh, you know, I was going to quote Joshua's for me in my house, but that's not as fitting as Colossians 1.18 is really perfect for this. So back to Colossians 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Now, I love Philippians 2.3. Paul says in Philippians 2.3, while you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, or verse 18, Colossians 1.18. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says there um, in Philippians 2.3, we should esteem others better than ourselves. Think of that. Esteem others better than ourselves. I remember when I passed through a larger church and I had all those young GIs. I talk about those poor E1s and E2s a lot. <laughs> but those guys were my little ameners and they followed me and they wanted my time and attention and they'd come by and see me and drop by my house. And, and at times I'd think, oh no, here's one of these guys again. Now if, if any of the colonels or Navy captains or anybody in the church called me, boy, I was at their beck and call. You know, well, that's an important person in the church. So what I was doing is being a respecter of persons when I had those thoughts. Now, I didn't act on those thoughts, but I remember those thoughts. Oh, Captain Eversman's called me, or Colonel Ryberg, or Bear was a, we had a guy named Bear Gibbs that was a pilot of F-15. We had several pilots in our church. Oh, if they wanted me, I'd meet them for lunch. That's my thinking. I'm too honest sometimes, but I gotta be transparent for you to be transparent, right? If I'm not that kind of example, you're not going to admit your faults. Confess your faults one to another, not your sins. I just confessed one of my faults to you. That was tough. I was a young guy. I took that church, I think it, uh, I'd have to do the math. I took that church in 93, and i would be 64 in two weeks from today. So I think I was 33, maybe? I don't know. I'll forget it, forget it, forget it. If I can't figure out my own age, how are you going to do it? Anyway, I was a young guy is my point. And I had a lot to learn. And I wish there was a book on experiences, but we all have different experiences. So a book someone else writes may not help me in my experience. But the Lord convicted me one day in my office. Someone came up to see me that I didn't look forward to seeing. And the Lord just said to me, you're a respecter of persons. You're a respecter of persons. That person's just as important as you are. And I just sat back in my chair and said, Holy Spirit, you're right. I didn't hear an audible voice, by the way. I said, Holy Spirit, you're right. That thought he put in my mind. And I said, come on in. And I tell you what, I gave him his time and he was so full of joy as he left my office. It was really worth it to me to spend that time with someone I thought was only an E1. Just got in the military. My point is that we have to love strangers. We have to love all people, and we can't always be first. Look at Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body of the church. Who? 
Jesus, who is the beginning, that, the firstborn, that means source from the dead, that in all things he might have the what? Preeminence. It's either God's way or my way. And in church, if you have to have your way, you're going to cause problems because it's all about God's way. I want what God wants here. I'm just see, waiting to see what God does. We get over this virus and our folks come back and new families start. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what God does. Our church doors are open every Sunday. Well, that's the way I always lead and I hope that's your way. And I'm just hoping on days God will bring families by who say, this is where we're supposed to be. And they come and join our church and plug in. Won't that be great? And we grow. Number one, we need to grow spiritually. Spiritual growth, not numeric growth. Spiritual growth. So often we're concerned about numbers. I don't even like that board out there. I'm not saying take it down. I'm not dividing the church over that board. But when, when tough times are in a virus, that board can discourage you, you know. You look at those low numbers, I'm like, throw that thing away. Don't throw it away. My point is, we sometimes rely so much on numbers and money and we lose sight of the fact that people, individuals, are the greatest assets in a church and God's given us exactly today who he wanted us to have. The Brogans can't be here and our, some of our deacons are gone. God knew that before the world began. God knew who'd be sick today. God knew who'd be here today. God knew what I would preach before the world began. Isn't that something about God? He is so awesome. The all-knowing, awesome God of ours. So it's, it's, the, the preeminence belongs in. Back to verse 10. Back to verse 10. Third John, verse 10. Wherefore, uh, he talks about him, Diotrephes, uh, uh, now verse 10, wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. This guy was a jerk. He ran people out of the church. He wouldn't receive the apostle John. Are you kidding me? Could you imagine if God would send John back today and he came here, what it'd be like? John is here. John's preach, brother. You're preaching this morning. You're getting, I'm not, I'm not going to preach to John. You know, we would just be so, here this guy wouldn't even want John there. He ran him off. Wouldn't welcome him. Think of that. But you know, there have been people that have hated Billy Graham. I, 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 Billy Graham, I think he was a Southern Baptist and a good man. And I've known people who attack him over the years. And I thought, when I win as many souls as Billy Graham, I'll criticize him, Okay. In other words, I'm not going to criticize them, you know. And there's been people who criticize everybody. We see the frailty of man, the mistakes of man. I, Billy Graham, I thought was a great man, a great evangelist, but great. My, uh, my wife's uncle played for him for many years and saw us. Billy Graham was as, just as godly as you thought he was. He said he was just a man so much like God in everything. That's so good to hear. I don't care if he is a member of our church or not. My point is... They should, he should have respected John, but he rejected John with malicious. That word malicious is translated in 2 John 11, you can look it up later, it's translated evil, evil words. It's translated in 1 John 5, 18, wicked words. So these, these words, he talks about these, these 
prating against us with malicious words, evil, evil, wicked words. You know what the Bible says about the tongue? It's just full of poison. It it's, 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 uh, it defiles the whole body, the tongue. Uh, in James, it says, behold the bits, behold the, uh, the bits, behold the uh, ships, and behold the lips. You know, he says, we put bits in horses' mouths to control them. We can control a ship, but we can't control a big mouth. And that's a paraphrase for sure. We can't control the tongue. And the tongue does more damage. You think about church problems, it's gossip, it's slander. There's so much divisiveness, jealousy, and attacks that are so unnecessary. The lack of communication. When you don't understand something or want to know, please ask. But please don't start stuff. We have unity. We want to move forward in unity. We want to be one in Christ. That's Jesus' last prayer, that we'd be one. John 17, read it. I pray that the future believers would be one. Be careful with what you say. The untamed, uncontrolled tongue is, is, and here was a man who exemplified meanness to its core. I mean, I just couldn't imagine one of the 11 apostles comes and you speak bad of them and don't let them come. Here's a man that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And by, by the way, he was one of the inner circle. The closest three were Peter, James, and John. They were with the Lord at the Transfiguration. They were with the Lord in several places where others weren't. They were the special three. And he comes to the church and he wasn't received. Then we look at Demetrius. We close with him. The Demetrius, he was the pleasant Christian. He had a good testimony. Look at verse 10. Beloved Follow not that which is evil, but follow that which is good. He that doeth evil is of God. And the word doeth, and the word follow, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. The, the word doeth means to practice evil or to practice good. You know how to tell if someone's a Christian if they practice doing good. If someone's always doing stuff that are, that's questionable or wrong, you, you have to think, by their fruits, we know them, and I don't see any fruit in this person's life. I have to wonder about their relationship with the Lord. We need to practice good. Those that practice, he says, follow, follow, not that which is evil. I love uh, Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good. And it says, seek peace and pursue it. Don't you like that kind of person? A person in church that's always seeking peace. Someone tries to start something and he just throws water on it and he just turns it around and makes it a, a good situation. I heard about a lady that came forward and said, Pastor, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said, Lady, the altar's not long enough. <laughs> I picked on men about their thoughts for several weeks. So there I just picked on the ladies. And it's not always ladies. Sometimes it's men that gossip just as much. I like Demetrius. Look what it says. Demetrius hath a good report of all men. Of all men, even the Bible says, if your ways please the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. Think about that. If your ways please the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. That's tough stuff. We need to please the Lord and everything. He says, he says, he has a good report of all men, of all, and of truth itself. 
Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. What a thing to say about this guy, Demetrius. Everybody, every, even of everyone, sinners, a, a good report of everyone. Mark the word report, the word record. And remember verse 6, which hath borne witness. Those all three are from the same Greek word. It's the word martyr. Martyr. Now, why is the word martyr translated witness in all these different ways? Because in the early church, to come to Christ meant one thing. Meant several things, but one of the things it meant was you'd be what? A martyr. A martyr. In fact, John, who's writing, is the only one of the 11, including Matthias, the replacement, that wasn't martyred. Aren't you thankful to be in America? What if you were living in Iran? They were automatically martyrs. Well, here's Demetrius, the pleasant Christian. He had a good testimony. Everybody knew his testimony. They recognized his testimony. It says, people who doeth evil have not seen God. That doesn't mean a visual perception. John 1.18 said, no man hath seen God at any time. The only way to have seen the manifestation of God would be to have seen Jesus. And I haven't seen Jesus and neither of you. One day we will. We'll look on his face. Amen. What kind of person are you today? Are you a Christian? Have you been to Calvary, to the cleansing blood? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you know there's been a time in your life where you recognized your sinfulness and said, I need to be saved. I'm lost in sin. Has that happened in your life? If not, come today and say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Are you today a prosperous Christian? Do you serve the Lord? You walk in truth and integrity? Are you a preeminent Christian? You have a bad attitude. You have to have your own way. You know what you do? You hinder the work of God. You know how to help your hindrance. Well, I know how to do this and how to run this program. And nobody said that here, by the way. I shouldn't really excuse my preaching. If a fish, the shoe fits, wear it. But I haven't heard that here. But, but I, I, don't, I don't like it when someone says, oh, I know what I'm doing and they're going to do it my way or, or whatever. I, I'll leave if we don't do it my way. I'm like, well, buddy, uh, <clears throat> I don't say it. But you know what some preachers would say. We don't need that attitude. We need to be prosperous or pleasant, not preeminent. It's Jesus first. This is God's church. The pews belong to him. Years ago, I had someone say, well, that's kind of my pew. Got that little label on the end of it, you know, because I bought that pew and I just, as nice as I could, it, it just came out. I said, well, really, that's God's pew. Once you put money in, it's God's. It's not yours. If you, if, if you are a multimillionaire, thank God, tithe. Please tithe. But that doesn't mean you're going to run the church. This is God's house. Amen. It's God's house. What kind of Christian are you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is your heart right with God? Are you a Christian today? If not, please come. As we sing a hymn of invitation, God bless us, Lord. Speak to hearts.